Ladies, that was beautiful. Thank you. There's a song that you might recognize entitled, A Strange Way to Save the World. It was written quite a few years ago and uh, originally sang by a group uh, by the name of For Him and then sung by other groups since then. But here's the first verse in the chorus of that song. I'm sure he must have been surprised at where this road had taken him. Because never in a million lives would he have dreamed of Bethlehem. And standing at the major, manger, he saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come to life. And Joseph said, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him? With all the rulers in the world. Why here inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now, I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. You ever heard that song before? You ever thought about the fact that this is such a strange way to save the world? That God would send his son to be born in a stable, out behind an inn in a city that didn't even, wasn't even his parents' home, Joseph and Mary's home. He was born to Joseph, who was just a simple carpenter. He was born to, to Mary, who was a virgin, really a no-name girl. He was born in a culture in which it was just strange for God to choose this as the method for saving the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here this morning for the purpose of worshiping, of lifting praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are here for the purpose of worshiping that baby that was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. And we're here this morning not just for the purpose of worshiping Him, but understanding ourselves what it looks like for us to be a part of God saving the world. Because yes, it was a very strange way for God to save the world when he sent Jesus the way he did many, many years ago. But you know, it's also just as strange the way he chooses to continue saving the world today. Now I want for us to go back here for just a few moments and we're going to hear the Christmas story from kind of from beginning to end. And I've, we've asked about five different people within the audience here to read the Christmas story. And I'd like for you to do this. As the story is being read, I want for you to reflect on what a great God we have, that he would think of this as his method for saving the world. But then also, I want you to reflect on the people that are interspersed all throughout this Christmas story, okay? Uh, people that, honestly, like I just talked about, they didn't really come from any kind of great stock or pedigree, anything like that. It was, it was simple people. So reflect on this as we read. We're going to go ahead and begin with V.W. Peters. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who, uh, whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this story that is told, the greatest story ever told. Father, I pray that now as we work through what I believe that um, you've got for us this morning, Father, would you be magnified and would you be lifted high? 
Our Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Hey, take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the end of the Christmas story here in just a few moments. But over the past couple of weeks, few weeks, we have taken an in-depth look at the social and the political culture of the day in which Jesus was born, especially in light of how that culture would have expected Jesus to live and to act. We looked at the, the Israelites, and we saw that they expected a Messiah, right? But then Jesus didn't end up being anything like they were wanting or what they were expecting. And so then the next week, um, actually last Sunday, we looked at Caesar, Right? We looked at Herod. Even when the Messiah was right in front of the faces of the Jews, what did they do? They rejected him. And they proclaimed, we have no king but Caesar. Right? So they gave their allegiance to Caesar rather than to Jesus. Uh, now we just read the Christmas story there as it's found in Matthew chapter 1 and then Luke chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. And one of the things that I always find interesting about the Christmas story, about the birth of Jesus is the simplistic nature in which he came, right? The simplistic nature in which he came and the, really the ordinary people that God chose to use in the coming of Jesus. God chose for Jesus to come to a little town. He was born to a lady um, who wasn't even married yet. His earthly dad was a carpenter. He was born in a stable out behind an inn, and he was worshipped by shepherds of all people, the last people that you would expect to worship a king of any kind. Now, you're in Luke chapter 2. We're going to spend just a few moments kind of looking at the last part of that Christmas story. So let's jump in right here at verse 18. Excuse me, 15. Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, if you were to take a poll of the people that were mentioned here in the Christmas story, I'm willing to bet that all of these people, each one of them mentioned there, had no idea beforehand that God was going to use them in the way that he chose to use them, right? They probably had no concept whatsoever what God was going to do. Do you think that uh, Joseph, all right, think about Joseph, he is engaged to this girl, okay? Did you think that, that at any point before it actually happened, he thought, hey, Mary's going to have a baby, he's going to be the son of God, he's going to be the Messiah? Well, I don't, I don't quite think that was Joseph's mindset, was it? All right, what about Mary? Right, she's, she's thinking, okay, a, a, an angel has come to me. I've had, I've had this, um, this understanding that I'm going to have a child. But I've never been with a man before, so there's no way that this could actually take place, that I'd actually have the Messiah, that I would have the Son of God. Right, I seriously doubt that that was what she thought was going to happen. She wouldn't have expected it beforehand. You think about those shepherds who were in the field. They're just minding their own business. <laughs> They're sitting out there watching sheep. One of the most boring jobs I, can, I, would, I would imagine anyway that you could ever have. And everything is nice and quiet and dark and still. And then all of a sudden, what happens? There's angels everywhere. They're proclaiming that God is great. And then a baby has been born there in the city of Bethlehem. Did you ever think or would they have ever thought beforehand, would they have expected that they would be a part of this Christmas story? Probably not. In fact, I would imagine that they never even came close to expecting to be a part of 
what God was doing. You see, for each one of these people, God chose to use them to carry out the plan that he had. And folks, it was a wonderful plan. It was a wonderful plan. In fact, there is no greater plan. God chose to use these seemingly insignificant people to carry out the greatest plan that could ever take place. God chose to use these seemingly insignificant people to carry out the greatest plan that could ever take place. So we asked the question, and we've been asking this question all throughout this series of, what did you expect? And I can pretty much guarantee that they did not expect this. They probably expected anything but this to be involved in God's story the way that they were. Now, as we think this morning about how this is such a strange way for God to save the world, we talked about that song earlier, it's a strange way for God to save the world. There's a couple of things that I want you to hang on to, okay? Number one, here it is, God's plan includes you. God's plan includes you. That's why Jesus came to earth, right? It's it's because the plan that God has for the whole world includes you as a part of what he wants to do. And that's a great honor that we've got. And listen to me, God, the beauty of this plan is that God doesn't have to use you. He chooses to use you to be a part of his plan. God's plan includes you surrendering your life to him so he can use you in any way that he sees fit. His plan includes you repenting of your sin, saying, God, I'm sorry for what I have done. I'm sorry for the sin that I've committed. Will you forgive me? That's a part of God's plan, but there's also a good chance that God's plan may consist of something that's unexpected, right? Kind of like it was here with Mary and Joseph and and those shepherds. They would have never expected God to use them the way that he chose to use them. And oftentimes, we don't expect God to use us the way he wants to use us. Folks, listen, God might want to do things in and through and around you that blow your mind. You know, oftentimes, though, he's not able to because we don't have the faith. We don't have the willingness to let him use us in the way that he wants to. There's a man um, by the name of David Livingston. You've probably heard of David Livingston before. Um, Actually, there's a college in Salisbury, North Carolina, just down the road, that is named after David Livingston. He was a British missionary that lived back during the mid-1800s. Now, he had uh, many, many talents. He was a very smart man, very um, very gifted in physical ability with different things. But his greatest passion was in the area of missions, and he is credited as being one of the first missionaries to set foot in many places in southern Africa. Um, David Livingston spent years in Africa sharing the gospel with people. He would travel all around southern Africa, and, and he would explore previously unknown areas of geography. And everywhere he went, he would share the gospel with anyone he came in contact with. While he was there, he was sick the majority of the time um, that he was in Africa with different illnesses. He had cholera at one point. He had uh, dysentery. He had um, other extreme sicknesses. At one point, he was even attacked by a lion. And his arm was damaged so badly by this attack that, um, that, that even though they were able to set the bone again, he could never lift his arm up above his shoulder anymore. Now, David Livingston is writing one time about um, the, the sacrifice, perceived sacrifice that he has made. And in his journal, here's one thing he had to say. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? 
Other men count it an honor to represent an earthly sovereign. It is my privilege to offer my life in service to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Away with such a word, such a view, such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Folks, there is an enormous amount of writings about David Livingston. The amount of writing that he did about his life and other people did about the life of David Livingston is vast. But it is only recorded that one person, get this, one person came to know Christ through the direct ministry of David Livingston. In all of his travels, all of his sharing the gospel with people, only one person is recorded as coming to know Christ as the Lord and personal Savior through his ministry. It was a man by the name of Sekel. Sekel was the chief of an African tribe. Sekel lived long after Livingston had passed away. And um, through Livingston, let me go back, even though Livingston's only recorded with leading that one man to the Lord, get this, Sekel is credited as being the catalyst that God used for gospel explosion all over southern Africa. Livingston, only one person recorded. Sekel, on the other hand, gospel explosion all over southern Africa. Folks, through Livingston, God's plan was carried out in southern Africa. Folks, his plan is always greater than ours. His plan is always greater than ours. And sometimes we think that we're insignificant. We think, I'm not a part of the plan that God has. And if I am, I have this very small portion, and he's thinking much bigger with other people somewhere else. But that's not how God works. Because God's got this plan that, that is absolutely vast, and there's no way that we can fully understand what that plan is. And our only role is to surrender to him in it and say, God, you use me. You do what you want with me. If there's anything that people like Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and David Livingston show us, get this, it's that God wants to use even the weakest and the lowliest to carry out his wonderful plan here on earth. God wants to use everyone. And folks, it is a wonderful plan. And that leads me to my next point here. Get this. When God's plan unfolds, no matter what it is, when God's plan unfolds, it should leave you in wonder. should leave you in wonder. Look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start reading verse 17, okay? Luke chapter 2, verse 17. And when they saw it, get, get this, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In other words, they had to get it out. What I've seen, what I've heard, what I've experienced, I've got to get it out. Right, so they followed God's plan in that. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered, wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Folks, when God works, what results is wonder because he has allowed us to work, to, to work through him. He has worked in us the way that he wants. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds return. Get this. What are they doing? They're glorifying. They're praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. There is something about being a part of something much bigger than yourself that brings excitement. Right? Everyone here in this story is excited about the plan of God being carried out. 
Anytime God works, it's a reason for us to celebrate. I've said that many times to you. Anytime God works, it's a reason for us to celebrate. Now, here's two questions I've got for you. Number one, in what ways is God working in and through and around you right now? In what ways is God working in and through and around you right now? In this moment, you can identify it. But then secondly, are you allowing his using you to leave you in wonder? Are you allowing the fact that he chooses to use you, does that leave you in wonder? God, thank you. Now you might ask, what what does the plan of God look like for me? Uh, I know that there's a plan that God has for every single one of us. His will is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. That means that we repent of our sins and we surrender our lives to him. But then God's plan for you might be a little bit different from other people's plan, right? It could be that God's plan for you and how you can join him where he's working right now consists of caring for someone who's in need. It could be raising your children to love people and to love God. It could be actively sharing the gospel with someone who needs to hear it. That plan could be taking on an active role in service within the church, or it could be of giving the resources that God has given you for further gospel proclamation. It could be any number of things, but have you identified where God is working and is the fact that God is choosing you to be a part of his redemptive plan, leaving you in awe and wonder? God, you would choose to use me. That is incredible. Folks, you have been chosen by the God of the universe, the creator of this world, and he has given you purpose beyond anything that you could ever be or give yourself. He has given you purpose. Are you willing to be a part of God's plan no matter what it is? Oftentimes we kind of get into our comfort zones as Christians and we we operate within the mindset that we can be good Christ followers, but we can never be great Christ followers. Can I tell you today that God is calling each one of us and it might be that he has something great for you to do, something that is well known for you to do, but it might be that he has one very simple person for you to go and talk to and say, I just want to encourage you with. And you know, that might be a part of God's plan. God chose to use Joseph and Mary and those shepherds and those angels. He chose to use those wise men. He chose to use Elizabeth, who would bring into this earth John the Baptist. And you know, we look at them and we think that was such a great thing that God did, a huge thing that God did. God would never use me in that way. But what if your word of encouragement to someone or you raising up your child to love God and to love people results in people coming to know Christ as a result of that work? You are a part of the plan of God. And when you are a part of the plan of God, it should leave you in wonder and awe. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be a part of this. Folks, what if God's plan is much greater than anything that we could ever dream up? Here's a question that I've I've been asking myself. What if he wants to pull a Jesus birth-sized miracle, but our Thomas-like lack of faith is not allowing him to? What if God wants to pull a Jesus birth size miracle, but our Thomas-like lack of faith is not allowing him to? What are you allowing God to do in you and through you and around you to be a part of his plan right now? We ask this question of what were you expecting? 
right? What did you expect? Well, we know that uh, Mary and Joseph and probably the shepherds had no idea what to expect. They probably never would have even been on the map of expecting what God did. But what about us today? What are we expecting? We don't know what to expect, right? We don't know what God wants to do in us and through us and around us. But what we can do is say, God, whatever it is, you do it. I'll step aside, you do it. Earlier, I read for you the lyrics to that song um, um, of, uh, what's the name of that song? Uh, Such a Strange Way to Save the World. And I want to read the second verse in in the chorus here for you, okay? Here it is. To think of how it could have been if Jesus had come as he deserved. There would have been no Bethlehem, no lowly shepherds at his birth. But Joseph knew the reason. Love had to reach so far. And as he held the Savior in his arms, he must have thought, here's the course again, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why here inside the stable filled with hay? And why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now, I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. Folks, it may have been a strange way to save the world, but it was God's way. What he's asking you to do may be strange sometimes, but it's God's way. Will you join him in what he's doing? No matter what that is, will you join him in what he's doing? He wants to use you. You just have to let him use you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Anytime God works, it's a reason to celebrate. In what ways do you see God working in and through and around you right now? And in what ways can you join him in that work? You know, oftentimes we don't join him out of fear. We think, I could could never do that. Sometimes we don't surrender. We don't become a Christian. We don't become a Christ follower out of fear. I could never do that. But what I want to challenge you with this morning is that God, as our creator, has a plan for you, and he's calling you to that plan. For some of you this morning, it might be that you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. For the first time, you've never repented of your sin and said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I know I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? You've never surrendered your life to him for him to use in any way he sees fit. Maybe this morning, um, as a part of this Christmas season, that's you. You need to do that. And if that's you, and I'd love to show you what it looks like for you to surrender your life to Jesus. It's simple. It's so simple. You can do that right now in the quietness of where you're sitting. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I know I'm a sinner. Will you please forgive me for my sin?" And if that's you and and you did that this morning, you surrendered your life to Jesus, would you come let me know after the service? Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you have surrendered your life to Jesus in the past, but you've never thought about the fact that God might want to do something in or through or around you the way we've talked about this morning. 
Now will be a great time for you to simply say, God, I am yours. You do what you want with me. Our Father, we thank you for the beauty of the plan that you have. Father, we thank you and we praise you because you are a God who orchestrated using us to carry out your plan. Father, you thought about the fact that it would be Joseph and Mary who would be the parents of the Son of God. But just as much as you thought about the fact that it would be Joseph and Mary as the, son, as the parents of the Son of God, you thought about Kivet. And you thought about Jill. Or you thought about Steve. Or you thought about any number of people. And the, pl- the, the place that they have in your plan. God, may we surrender to that this morning. And may this be a Christmas in which we remember that we are a part of the plan of God. We don't always know what to expect. But Father, we have reason to celebrate because you are working in and through and around us. Oh, we love you, Father. We thank you for the redemptive work of Jesus. And it's in his holy and precious name I pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing, um, O Come, All You Faithful, right? Folks, listen, thank you for joining us for our Christmas service this morning. And may God bless you as you go from this place in just a moment. Let's sing it together. Oh, come, let us Hi, I'm Pastor Kivett, and I would like to thank you for being a part of our service today at Salem Baptist Church. I hope the service was a blessing to you. 